Conservative Political Action Conference, also called CPAC, wrapped up this past weekend. CPAC. They're going to find out the hard way starting on November 8th. They will find out like never before. Those are brush fires of freedom. But you know who's worked tirelessly to put out those brush fires of freedom? Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Let's go, Brandon, right? I got a question for you. Why won't you be honest with the people of this country? The three-day gathering, which took place in Orlando, Florida, took time to drum up conservative grievances and take aim at President Joe Biden. At the center of it all, of course, was former President Donald Trump. Among the stars of the GOP were several notable Arizonans. That includes Congressman Andy Biggs, an Arizona gubernatorial candidate, and former Fox 10 anchor Kerry Lake. Simultaneously, a group of far-right extremists also met in Florida for their own convention, which Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar addressed virtually. Traditionally, CPAC was driven by policy issues, but this year saw continued gnashing of teeth over cultural issues as well. Welcome to The Gaggle, an Arizona political news podcast by the Arizona Republic and AZ Central. Each week, we speak with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I'm a national reporter for the Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. Today, we're parsing through what happened at this year's CPAC the Arizona players, and how it will affect the conservative movement heading into this year's midterms. Joining us today again is the Republic's own state politics reporter, Stacey Barchinger. Stacey, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's start by going over the mood of the event this year and the cast of Arizonans who were there or who were supposed to be there. Yeah. So like you said at the top, we had Congressman Biggs, gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake, um, and then Phoenix's Charlie Kirk, who not seeking elected office, but certainly has a following um, via his organization Turning Point USA, um, which really mobilized young voters for Trump in 2016. They were all there. And as you suggested, uh, Arizona Residents had a little bit of a hard time getting to CPAC this year. Um, GOP candidate for Senate, Jim Lehman, was supposed to speak on Sunday, the final day of the conference. But according to his campaign, it just logistically didn't work out. And he focused on his campaign in Arizona instead. So he did not make his appearance. And then Carrie Lake was supposed to speak on the first day, uh, but apparently missed her flight. The campaign confirmed this, and I spoke to someone that was on the same flight to Orlando that she was supposed to be on. Um, she was at the gate. She was just a little bit late, and they wouldn't let her on. And so um, she ended up having to go later, which might have worked out okay for her because she bumped from a first-day speech to one that unfolded just a couple hours before Donald Trump took the stage. And he certainly was the headliner of the event this weekend. Okay, so enough with the logistics. What stood out to you as far as what people said? 
So I was really focused on Carrie Lake and what she had to say to the crowd that had gathered in Orlando. She talked a lot and repeatedly voiced these uh, these claims that the 2020 election was rigged and stolen. And again, there's just no evidence to back up those claims. Like many other speakers who were there, there was this sentiment of if, you know, if the right guy, that being Donald Trump, was in the White House, none of these things that are occurring in the world would be happening, whether it's illegal immigration, whether it's uh, inflation, whether it's the war between Russia and Ukraine. She explicitly said, you know, quote, none of this would be happening if the man who truly won the election was sitting in the Oval Office. Um, thought it was pretty interesting that she made a comparison saying that the, the quote, fake news was talking about a border half the world away and, and allegedly ignoring the crisis at the southern border, which I know we'll talk a little bit more about. That was a theme that we heard from many folks who were at the conference. One of the things that I was really interested to see was how Donald Trump talked about Carrie Lake. Um, these two have a chemistry together. Uh, when he was down here in Arizona in Florence earlier this year, he called her up on stage during his time, which is pretty unheard of for the former president. And so during his about 90-minute speech at CPAC, he did mention her, um, gave her a shout out during his opening remarks where he talked about, you know, all the political figures that he really likes and really supports right now, um, made sure to include Carrie Lake as the final, the final shout out in his speech. In she was the anchor. She was the anchor for 22 years. I hate to say that long. Was that about right? 22 years and people loved her. And she's beautiful inside and out. You know, you're not allowed to say that anymore. It's uh, politically incorrect, but it's true. She's beautiful inside and out. She's an incredible woman, Carrie Lake. It is really interesting that she continues to have quite a bit of access and influence uh, with Trump and, and his world. Just a primer, we began to see that access when she was anchor of Fox 10. She would frequently get exclusive interviews. She was frequently invited backstage to see uh, the then president. He has always sort of heaped quite a bit of praise on her. Um, and as a candidate for governor, continues to do so. He obviously has endorsed her and she is lockstep with him on so many of his positions. And we're sort of seeing him pay attention to her, much like he did uh, with South Dakota's Republican governor, Kristi Noem. There are some who are already speculating that Carrie Lake could uh, be chosen by Trump as his vice presidential running mate should he choose to, get in, uh, choose to run again in 2024, which he obviously during a CPAC speech alluded to, uh, to doing. That obviously is a race that is a long time away, but it's one that everyone is already talking about. How would you see the alliance between Trump and Lake translating nationally? Well, I'm so stressed out about covering this election. I don't even want to think about 2024, but I will do this for the gaggle. Um, <laughs> that is that is a long way away. And um, Carrie Lake has to win a GOP primary and a uh, general election to get her first chance at being in public office. Remember, she's an outsider. She doesn't have political experience, which, you know, it, she is working to use that to her advantage. But Trump really only likes winners. And so we need to see how she fares in the GOP primary, at least first. You know, 
she is very confident that she is going to win that primary and the general election. I I believe we only know it uh, on election day or or shortly thereafter. So we'll have to wait and see. I know that there is some frustration um, with her fundraising. She pulled in about $1.4 million in 2021, which is a significant amount, but compared to what her Republican opponents are bringing in for the race is really like not impressive. And she's been spending a lot, too. So she's going into the election year with about $375,000 on hand. So there's some uncertainty about her continued ability to fundraise. And, you know, there's all these other unknowns before August and before November and certainly before 2024. Maybe the party moderates in some way. We just never really know what's going to happen. Congressman Andy Biggs also addressed the crowd while uh, Lake is sort of a, as you mentioned, an outsider, a newcomer to this audience. Andy Biggs is no stranger to the CPAC crowd. Ron, give us the highlights. What did he have to say? Yeah, so this was really a speech that was intended to throw red meat on an already adoring conservative base. Uh, He referred to Joe Biden at one point, for example, as the titular head of the United States, uh, a curious way to speak of the president. He, of course, uh, outlined what he viewed as an agenda that is more in line with what um, conservatives would like to see. For example, saying that any must-pass bills coming uh, through Congress should require something like border security uh, being assured before anyone can pass these things. He wanted to counter any efforts at making the military more woke by ensuring the kinds of election integrity changes that Republicans have been speaking about for some time now. Um, He wants a balanced budget. And he talked about implementing what he called an America first contract with America that would really sort of sketch out their their vision more broadly as a way to ensure that the Trump approach to politics continues in Congress. He also went after uh, energy issues as something that he specifically assailed President Biden for uh, and suggested in other remarks that this is something that has practically invited the kind of invasion of Ukraine that we saw from Russia. He did not, for example, uh, seem to give any credit for the fact that uh, natural gas exports have been up for 10 straight months over the year before. Uh, And this is happening even as drilling permits, for example, have risen under Biden's administration. This is something that is still kind of a a conservative talking point that energy is somehow at the root of why Putin decided to attack Ukraine. So it was very much a speech that was about sort of moving past Ukraine as an issue, blaming it on Joe Biden and promising a return to conservative values, whether it's on homeschooling and parental input, or uh, also uh, bringing down crime in cities, uh, a traditional boogeyman for conservatives. So I want to jump in with a question about another Arizonan who was down in Florida this last weekend. Uh, Charlie Kirk has a large following of young conservatives and wealthy GOP donors who really admire his work with Turning Point USA. During his time on stage, he echoed what is becoming a familiar sentiment among Republican statewide candidates when it comes to the invasion by Russia of Ukraine. 
He essentially said that elected officials here should worry more about the influx of undocumented immigrants at the U.S.-Mexico border more than a war that's being fought half a world away. Yvonne, I expect we're going to hear similar comparisons as this conflict ratchets up. How do you expect that messaging on Ukraine to sit with everyday Arizona voters as we plunge deeper into the consequences of Putin's actions? So I think what is really interesting about um, Charlie Kirk and his ties here in Arizona, uh, which is where Turning Point is headquartered, is that he tends to be ahead of the game on messaging, um, at least with uh, some contingents of Republicans. And clearly what he's trying to do is refocus the conversation to a tried and true issue that Arizona voters, particularly Republican voters, care quite a bit about. It'll be interesting to see how Arizona voters end up viewing um, the U.S.'s engagement in the uh, war in Ukraine. You know, while Republicans like Charlie Kirk, Carrie Lake, Jim Lehman, others are really sort of trying to cast this as some issue happening in a faraway country that we should not be engaged in, we will feel the consequences of it, and Arizona voters will feel the consequences of it, whether it be through higher gas prices, higher energy prices, supply chain issues that continue um, to be an issue, and I suspect will will only deepen as uh, this thing plays out. They probably don't equate illegal immigration and the influx of immigrants at the U.S. border in the same way uh, pocketbook-wise, that they may feel it uh, on on this issue. So it'll be interesting um, to see the polling on this and and how it it plays with different uh, segments of voters moving forward. Happening at the same time as the CPAC gathering was the America First Political Action Committee. They're known as AFPAC. These acronyms can be a little confusing sometimes. But this is an extremist, far-right alternative to CPAC. And this is a group that Congressman Paul Gosar uh, gave a brief video address to. His remarks to that crowd caught the attention of Senator Mitt Romney. He is the Republican from Utah who ripped Gosar and uh, other Republicans on his team as morons on national TV. And his remarks really caught uh, the attention of quite a few folks. One, because you don't really hear senators speak like this. This rhetoric is sort of more in line with folks over in the House or folks here around Arizona. Um, But what made it so unusual is that it is so rare for Republicans these days to to call out their own. Ron, you you covered this. What did Romney have to say? What was the context surrounding his remarks, and what was Gosar's reaction? Yeah, so Senator Romney appeared on CNN's State of the Union on Sunday and was asked about the appearance of Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman from Georgia, and Paul Gosar at AFPAC. And basically, he he tried to make no uh, defense of their appearance. In fact, he compared it to uh, a line from the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid saying, morons, I've got morons on my team. Look, there's no place in, in either political party 
for this white nationalism or racism. It's simply wrong. Uh, it's evil as well. And, uh, and, and you know, I, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, I don't know them, but I'm reminded of that old line from the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid movie where, where one character says, morons, I've got morons on my team. And I have to think anybody that would sit down with white nationalists and speak at their conference was certainly missing a few IQ points. It, it was the kind of unvarnished candor that has um, uh, been vanishingly rare in politics in many ways. But uh, he, he also went on to say that uh, appearing at that kind of an event really seemed to suggest that they were lacking in IQ. And it, it just underscored the, the very significant difference between establishment-type conservatives like Senator Romney and the sort of newer iteration of Republicans uh, more in the mold of Donald Trump. It's interesting to note that Paul Gosar, in his response to Senator Romney's remarks, really sort of wrote off the senator, saying that that wing of globalists and interventionists and America last is breathing their last fetid breath. It's the kind of dismissiveness that is uh, really kind of in, in keeping with the Trump style of scorched earth politics. So speaking of bare knuckles politics, Governor Ducey was sort of drawn into uh, more of that than he wanted, it seems. When he was asked about State Senator Wendy Rogers in recent days, she was uh, uh, also active in this weekend's uh, festivities in Florida. Stacy, tell us a bit about what was going on with Wendy Rogers and Doug Ducey and how all that played out in the national media. So Senator Rogers was supposed to speak at the AFPAC conference, just because we're talking about two conferences here. This is the one that is affiliated with the white nationalist leader. And she had gotten some media attention for even being willing to speak um, at an event like this. Um, certainly, it seems to be in line with some of the things that she has said. So a couple of days before she was set to appear, Governor Ducey was asked if he basically supports her. Um, his political action committee had significantly boosted her campaign for Senate in 2020. Um, and concern over Rogers' appearance this weekend at the AFPAC conference hasn't really abated in recent days. One of the th things that she said there was, you know, she suggested that her political enemies should hang from the gallows um, among expressing her support for Nick Fuentes, the leader of the group who is uh, known to federal prosecutors as a white supremacist. So those comments specifically just augmented the concern um, that a member of the Arizona Senate would be affiliated with a group like this. And in relatively swift action, we saw the Arizona Senate um, take a step against Rogers. So there's really only a couple of options or steps that the Senate can take um, if a member does something that the majority of members don't like. They can do a reprimand, a censure, they can expel a member. Um, and these things are very rare. Uh, the Senate hasn't voted to censure, which is basically like a public statement of disapproval um, in at least 30 years. But we saw between Roger's comments on Friday and Tuesday, the Senate got the votes together. They issued a censure against Roger's um, comments that basically she would 
seek to harm people that took this vote, essentially. Um, it's worth noting that the center doesn't address her anti-Semitic comments. It doesn't address racist comments. It also doesn't even really use Roger's name. Um, it only calls her a senator from Legislative District 6. Um, but nevertheless, 24 senators, all of the Democrats, 11 Republicans, including Senate President Karen Fan, voted to do this public censure of Wendy Rogers uh, on Tuesday. Only after all of that happened, the governor um, issued a follow-up statement and, you know, he didn't even address his comment that Rogers was better than the Democratic alternative, but he did say, um, you know, that her uh, anti-Semitic rhetoric was unacceptable. He condemned anti-Semitism and hateful language um, and kind of joined a chorus of pushback against Rogers' criticisms attacking the president of Ukraine. He said that um, it was as simple as Putin versus freedom and suggested that Rogers was on the wrong side of that debate. So it was yet another reminder of really how personality-driven uh, Republican politics is these days. Um, these personalities really sort of seem to be drowning out the more middle ground sort of Republicans here in Arizona and beyond. There obviously are quite a few people here in Arizona who are moderate, pragmatic, just, you know, sort of traditional I guess what extremists would call establishment Republican figures, but you don't really seem to hear much about them or from them in this slash and burn political environment. Where do they fit in more broadly in our electorate, Ron? Well, they do seem to be uh, struggling to gain traction in their their side of the political aisle these days. We, of course, chatted with House Speaker Rusty Bowers uh, a week ago to get his take on uh, where things are heading. And it was notable because so often he does find himself at odds with the uh, the critical mass of the, of the right wing in politics at the state level, for sure. Uh, we've seen State Senator Paul Boyer sort of chased out of office by former President Donald Trump uh, and by uh, a challenge from someone who is a, uh, a former state representative who has Trump's endorsement, who was present at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and Anthony Kern. So there is this sort of uh, very confrontational, aggressive style of politics on the right that has really sort of uh, pushed aside those who have a uh, more traditional style of politicking. And we see that with Governor Ducey really trying to navigate these difficult waters uh, as he tries to finesse issues like Wendy Rogers, while he also heads the Republican Governors Association nationally and, and harbors whatever future uh, political runs he might be considering. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that was a little bit surprising to folks about his sort of like soft or, or hedging response to the Wendy Rogers question is, you know, in the time that I've been here, the governor repeatedly says, you know, he certified the election. This is his way of saying, you know, there was no fraud, that there's no stolen election. Um, and he has been very transparent and forward about that. 
So to see him get this question about a controversial member of his party and not be more direct is a little bit surprising and maybe even confusing to some who follow politics. All right, Stacey, as always, thank you so much for the sharp analysis and your coverage. Listeners, be sure to follow her reporting by going to azcentral.com and clicking local. Remind our listeners where they can find you on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at sbarchinger. So it's S-B-A-R-C-H-E-N-G-E-R. All right. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend or two. And if you missed last week's episode with House Speaker Rusty Bowers, it's worth your time. It's worth a listen. I'd encourage you to go back and take a look. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Kaylee Monahan. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Also be sure to check out Valley 101 and The Lab at azcentral.com. From history to science, we've got you covered. For The Gaggle, I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. We'll see you next week. Hello, producer Kaylee Monahan here. Did you know that there's an easy way to stay on top of all of our podcasts, plus news from across the state? Just download the free AZ Central app. Find it in your app store and in Google Play.